up, everybody, and welcome into the Keeping It 1000 podcast with myself and head coach George Carl. George, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's summer break, baby. <laughs> we don't want to hang out and talk basketball like we're doing every day this year. It's funny because just minutes ago when we were sitting here preparing for the show, George tells me it's August. His body rhythm is that August he doesn't talk about basketball. Yeah. He checks out. Yeah, biorhythms. Uh, I believe in biorhythms. I think we all have morning light, late night. And my body just doesn't like to work in August because I think August has always been my month for friends and family and uh, the only guy, I had like maybe a list of three people that if I got a phone call I would respond to and you know, one would be an owner, one would be a general manager, and one would be the commissioner probably. This is interesting. I'm actually going to ask you about this because you're very sincere about this, that you have like an annual biorhythm and that, and, and that this time of year can be weird. Of course, there were two years in a row now that the NBA is playing into August, so uh, we'll get to that. But first, I want to tell everybody that today, as always, we are presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code DNVR when you sign up. Going to be telling you guys about their crazy deal. They've been doing these crazy deals for a year since they launched a year and a half ago. <laughs> the one they have now, it's literally can't miss, and I'll tell you guys that about that here in just a little bit. Today's show, we're going to talk about free agency. We're going to talk about... Uh, Summer League. I know George Carl very excited about Summer League. Big Summer League guy, George Carl. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, Kenyon Martin's on the coaching staff. We're going to talk about that, um, as well as some recent comments about Carmelo Anthony and just George's style. George George's style with NBA commentary. So, um, but I let's go back to this about August because. I can get on board. I don't know if I have annual. I definitely have 24-hour body rhythms. Like I can, mm-hmm. you change time zone, it takes forever to get back to normal or whatever. But annual, I don't think I, I could say I have an annual biorhythm. But you did do this for basically your entire life, the same schedule, uh, one after the other. The NBA the last two years has not had that luxury. In fact, somebody just sent this to me that the Denver Nuggets Utah Jazz series in the bubble took place 12 months ago. That was two seasons ago. That wasn't this last playoffs. That was the last one. And when you hear that, it really shows you how wacky the last 12 months have been for the NBA. And so the further we get from that bubble, the more you realize how different things were. And the biorhythm is a part of that. Guys are playing into August. Right now, Michael Malone's in Las Vegas. Guys are playing. Do you think that it's not just for you? That disrupts the entire rhythm of the NBA. No question. I mean, I, I mean, I think all of our lives right now is still trying to reorganize to try to get back to normal. Yeah. And, you know, COVID is still a pain in the butt. You know, our economy and politics are still on the streets. And, uh, you know, and, you know, I don't even know right now how I should be thinking about COVID. Right, because the outbreak and and okay, you know the the variants and you know should I be socializing? Should I right. be should I you know at seventy and having comprom- uh, health compromises in my life? Uh, but I want to get back to normal, and I, I think the NBA wants to get back to normal. I I just think uh, I'm glad I'm glad we've had basketball. At times, I think we've had a little bit too much basketball. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little basketballed out, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I'm a little basketballed out. I mean, I want you to know, very seldom does baseball t- overtake basketball, but the, the, f- the field of dreams was a little bit more important than basketball. How great time. was that, by the way? That was really night. good. They got to do it again. They got to do it again. The yeah, intro was incredible. Again. The visuals of it. And I like... 
it's funny, man. Sometimes sports are a TV show. And I think like there's the competition that that's sacred. You don't want to mess with that. And obviously they didn't. But the just the celebration of basketball that that game or of baseball that that game was. I, I feel like we need more of that in sports. More creativity that says, "Hey, how how unique is this setting and this opportunity?" And it really puts a spotlight on the game. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna transition off to uh, one of our podcasts that we really like, Forgotten Seasons. Yeah. I love Forgotten Seasons because it's exactly what you're talking right. about. It celebrates good basketball without winning a championship. It celebrates a season with, which lit up a city, and fans still remember, you know, us going to the finals in in in, in Seattle and and the the final we went to the conference finals in Philadelphia and in Milwaukee, and all those memories. And there's so many of those seasons in sport. Not only in basketball, but football, college football, uh, baseball. I mean, I mean, there are so many great baseball runs that end up right. in failure in not yep. winning the championship. But you know, like, like I think right now in, in the baseball, I think everybody's I'm lit up by the San Francisco Giants. Right. I mean, here's a team that no one expected to be any good, and they're kind of got one or two fundamentals. That they're magnifying that baseball can be won if you had to do certain fundamentals in a very strong way, and I, I love that too. I, if you think about the NBA, some of the ways they market it really bother me. I mean, I've complained about on, on our DNVR Nugget show a lot about what things are so important in the NBA from a marketing standpoint, and obviously it's a lot of players and player drama and this or that. And I always think, you know, you're right. This is why I like the Forgotten Seasons thing. Is a lot of the things that to me are truly the most inspiring things about basketball aren't just the hottest most controversial story or this or that it's the you know it's it's some of the untold stories that's why forgotten seasons is interesting to me you think about rocky the movie rocky won an academy award it's about a guy who just last he went the distance he didn't win the fight he went the distance an underdog and you think that's an all-time story so much of sports are that but for whatever reason they get they get thrown by the wayside so by the way a little tease Look, sounds like a Nuggets episode, of, uh, a fun Nuggets episode of Forgotten Seasons is on the way as well. So keep your eye out for that one. Yeah, I hope that happens hopefully in the next couple of days. Yeah, in the next, next couple of days. So um, let's let's move on to free agency here. This is the big thing that's happened since the last time we talked. Um, the summer talk. Let's go summer talk. Let's go summer talk, baby. Where no one knows what they're talking about. <laughs> well, do you, maybe you know what you're talking about here because the first thing I want to ask is about tampering in the NBA. The Chicago Bulls are going to get fined, it sounds like, for signing Lonzo Ball one minute after uh, the free agency began. When I saw this and the controversy that was sparked around this, I thought, what controversy? 40 different players signed a contract at 401 Mountain Time on free agency. I, why are we highlighting one team? And it made me think tampering is the thing. When And by the way, tampering, you're not supposed to talk to players that are not under your roster until free agency begins. But if a player signs contracts one minute into free agency, something tells me they were talking to agents or players or whatever. Um, so my question is, how much tampering actually happens <laughs> in the NBA and why does the NBA pretend that it's not how it's done? I have no idea why they're pretending because, I mean, I mean, we are not only have tampering between clubs and players, but clubs and agents. I think we have tampering between players and players. It seems now we're, players are recruiting each other. Right. Players are going out of their way to make sure that, hey, you got you to look at us. 
Russell Westbrook was in Los Angeles having dinner with Anthony Davis and LeBron James four days before free agency begins. Then he gets traded, you know, and you think, like, come on. What were they talking about, TV shows? No, they probably have been doing both. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I mean, I mean it's... Uh, I mean, you can't... You can, I don't even know how the league can look at it because they'll within an hour of free agency, they spend a billion dollars. Right, yep. I mean, you spend a billion dollars in a billion, I mean, a billion, you spend, you you allocate a billion dollars in the first hour of free agency, you probably had to spend a lot of time figuring out why we're gonna do this, I would hope. Right, right. It just, it just seems weird. I don't know that you can stop tampering. I mean, how do you, in today's day and age, there's so many ways to communicate. I don't know if you can say, we can police, you can't police it. So I wonder if there's a solution to, I mean, do we just admit, is, is it better if the NBA just admits like, hey, guys are going to be talking. I don't know what we can do about it. So tamper, let's not fine. There, there's the old, uh, what was the old adage? Um, I, I don't remember who the executive, I think it was a college football example. Um, but you could use it here and say the NBA was so mad at the Lakers for tampering that they find the Chicago Bulls. Exactly. And that's really the way it works. They're like, hey, we're going to make an example out of somebody. Let's do the Bucks. Uh, let's do the Mavericks. And let's get that's to right. it. We do that in coaching too. I mean, you yell at <laughs> I love this. You yell at <laughs> Carmelo's backup yeah. for not doing something, making sure that hopefully Melo will hear you say yeah. <laughs> transition defense is really important. <laughs> That's so funny, man. That is the there's some of them you know, I'm coming back from summer league where you get to talk to all the different people around the league. This is the especially over this last year where the access has been so limited, you know, this this uh, has been an opportunity to talk and you almost come back a little more jaded than usual just like when you you get to peek behind and hear all the stories about how the sausage is made <laughs> and i'm the tip of the iceberg for me i'm i mean obviously uh there's there's so much more to it um so anyway the tampering thing to me is just absolutely ridiculous and i don't know what how the nba if the nba can change it and you mentioned all the different avenues now players are recruiting and um, you know, the rich keep getting richer, it seems to me, and, and some of these these big markets. When you talk about you can't stop tampering, well, who benefits from it? The Lakers. Um, how the about Nets, the tampering that's coming next? What is it? College basketball. Oh. You, you, can play, you can pay college players, right? Well, what about if a half a dozen college players all of a sudden are working for LeBron James's Hollywood production company right. in the summertime? Right, right. You know, or... Something with Nike, with Michael Jordan and Jordan brand. And, and, you know, all of a sudden, what is being brought into the tampering factor is the college athlete now. Right. And sometimes, you know, I've actually been around NBA guys that have actually suggested maybe we shouldn't have a draft anymore. Mm, free agency right Just from the start. Just have free agency from the start. Yeah. I'm not sure I like that. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I would like to go back maybe to the old days a little bit of loyalty and i know the league has done a good job with the, the economics of a contract to keep players in the city that they are but it seems more and more now that players now are looking to get their money but also change right. change scenery and, and be in somewhat control of where i want to go right do you let's go into this now because one of the things we we talked about and we're going to talk about today was you know the league is getting younger it, it it does seem like if there's a, this mind frame of if you're not contending then you gotta you gotta go young so you can develop and have you know these young players. Well, we're we just got done with summer league. It's not great basketball. There are a ton of young players in the NBA right now. 
not, there's a lot of veteran players that maybe spend time outside of the league and can't get break back in because teams are thinking, ah, we're not trying to win. We got to get some young guys here. So, so this or that. Um, then you talk about college and 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 bringing it in. Do you, why do you feel the NBA is too young, and why do you think that too, so many teams are after young prospects rather than trying to be a seven seed or an eight seed? They've, they've been, I mean, the owners are buying that that bill of goods. I mean, this philosophy of Pressy and and the guy in Philadelphia and. To be, you know, tear it down, lose for three or four or five years, and get the best player you possibly can get, and hopefully you get a great one. Right. Uh, I I personally think it's seventy five percent of that philosophy is miserable, and don't doesn't succeed. And yes, it has had a succession. It's had Oklahoma City. You can say Philadelphia might have been a success, but the misery of losing for five or six years to a fan base. That, that's an economical decision that I, I, I personally like winning. And I think fans want a, a, good, a product that they can feel is getting better and can feel it's progressing. And the yo-yo of going to the bottom, that, 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 that puts you in misery. I, I, and, I'm, and I still don't understand why young and old don't mix. I think young and old mix. In your opinion, what's a healthy amount of, we'll say, sub twenty-three year old players on a roster? If there's fifteen roster spots. What's the? And you're a team that's trying to win, not a team that's trying to rebuild. How many players twenty-three or under you think are on the roster? Uh, five would be my max, I would think. Okay. And I think five. You know, I think balance your roster is with veterans, with possible, with potential. With young potential, and also have those middle of the road guys that that those glue guys, those role guys like PJ Tucker and guys like that, they they win championships. Right. And you got to have those guys. So we got to fa- somehow fabricate them through the system somehow. The Nuggets, if you look at it right now, they've got Bones Highland, they've got Bull Bull, they've got Zeke Naji. Outside of that, they don't really have. I don't know if there's any other young guys, like real young. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is young, but now he's two years into the NBA, so he's a third Monte year player. Morris, I think Monte he's 26, Morris. I think 25, 26. Those, but see, those guys never get mentioned a lot. But I think those those guys like Monte Morris, it's a a twenty minute NBA player now that wants yeah. to be a twenty five minute NBA okay. player, and my and, my, and probably is a twenty five yeah. minute player somewhere else. So I mean those. I mean, there's there's different. There's more than just the good and the bad and the young and the old. They're a mixture of how your roster is balanced. I I, th- I think you know I've been critical of the Nuggets the roster is not having a lot of balance over the last three or four years. I think they've been I don't know what the word is mentally fragile because mm. of their roster spacing. Uh, but you know, I, I actually like their moves over the summer. I think uh, signing the veterans back is, a, is a, I think, a statement to the rest of the NBA. We, we're trying to win a championship. We're not just trying to get better. We're trying to do it with, you know, with, with how the NBA has said for the last 25, 30 years is young players, young teams don't win championships. Right. I, I don't know that Denver is young anymore, to your point. Uh, and you're right, they brought in Jeff Green. They re-signed Jermichael Green and Will Barton. All those guys are old. They're veteran players. They're not old as in they're past, you know, over right. the hill, but they're they're not young by any means. Um, 
so I, I this does feel a little bit more like the oldest roster Denver has had really in the Malone era, the Jokic Malone era, um, where they finally have some old guys. You mentioned PJ Tucker. Is Jeff Green that type of player to you? Let's talk about him just as a basketball player first. Is he that type of player that's okay? He's going to make impacts, not just in the regular season, but in playoffs as well? I like Jeff. I, I like Jeff Green pick up big time. I think uh, I've been very impressed with Jeff Green's uh, last three or four years. Where he has gone, he has had an impact. Where he has gone, he's kind of figured out how to fit in. Mm-hmm. Where he has gone, he's had a veteran presence and pro- a prominence in the locker room. And all those things, I think, help you win games at the top of the, uh, at the, top of the mountain. Um, potential young players don't help you win games. They confuse you and misdirect you at times. And you have to live with that to have a, a young player evolve and become a star. But in the same sense, it's not always the best formula to say, hey, we're out here to get to the top. The championship. Is Michael Porter Jr. over his growth? No. Is he good enough to be a starter on a championship team? Some team people in the league would say yes. Some people in the league would say no. I still think I'm on the fence on it. And I think he's definitely worthy of working hard and trying to figure out how to make him better. And... You know, there's got to be a point in the day that you got to make a decision: Is he good enough to keep, or is he is he is he uh, a potential guy that might be better trading away? It's funny the way the NBA works because you know the Nuggets probably have to make a decision on him this summer about whether or not he's a max player or what kind of extension to give him. And to your point, he hasn't necessarily proven that yet. But because of leverage, because of if you don't sign him to an extension now you can't trade him next summer he becomes a restricted free agent and you might lose him for nothing or you have to overpay to match so Denver this is the way the NBA works and there's reasons that that's set up this way but Denver sort of has to decide on that right now and I'm with you I th- I like Michael Porter I I, I I think he's going to be that guy but he hasn't proven to be that guy and his playoff run was was unimpressive I think I don't think you got to be fearful of restricted. Uh, is he unrestricted? This no, he restricted free agent. Yeah, if he's restricted, I think you got to live with that chance of him knocking it out of the ballpark. And you get don't you know this year if you pay him now, you're probably gonna overpay him. But if you pay him at max, if he earns the max right next year, then I think I don't know. I mean. I have no idea. I mean, the contracts that are coming out now and everybody maneuvering to get the $200 million. I remember signing Chris Washburn to, I think, an $8 million contract, and I got fired because he was a failure. So. <laughs> it is true, though. Actually, I laugh, but this is a true thing. I mean, a Michael Porter is the type of player that can get a coach fired just if you sign him and you say, hey, we need him to work out. He hasn't proven it. We need him to. And if he doesn't work out, sometimes you can't fire the player once you signed him to a max. You got to say, oh, maybe the coach, maybe it was a coach didn't reach him, this or that. So there's a real risk for players when uh, <clears throat> when that happens. Well, that list of getting coaches fired is growing in the NBA. Yeah. Things that happen that are blamed on coaching rather than maybe blamed on management. So Jeff Green, getting back to him, you know, I, I, <laughs> The value of a guy, he's well-liked around the league. He's been in the league for a long time, but he's well-liked. He's been a bit of a journeyman, so he knows everybody. He's very well-liked. I think he could be a good locker room guy in that, um, you know, both in terms of leadership, but also in terms of, I think, just 
I don't know if Denver had the vocal put your arm around a uh, guy that puts his arm around you and 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 kind of shows you the way. <clears throat> What's the value of having that guy on the team, especially when he's new? You have a team with a lot of continuity. He's the one new guy. Well, I mean, my my, my belief is almost every championship team has a rule, tough-minded guy, veteran. I mean, my runs in Seattle with Nate McMillan being that guy and P.J. Tucker with Milwaukee this year. And uh, Phoenix has it a little bit with, I forget the kid's name from Missouri. Uh, you know, every, every team that kind of escalates not only has a lot of talent, but there's someone making that talent fit that connects and chemistry Connector, yeah. and... And, and egoless and selfless and the mentality of, of, of sacrifice. All these things, I think, you, you know, you're saying that Jeff Green can bring to the table. Millsap might have brought that to the table in the last couple of years. But, you know, I, I think we are all a little bit wanting Millsap always to do more mm -hmm. in that area. But a young team, sometimes that's very frustrating to a veteran, you know. Sometimes a veteran doesn't know how to bridge the young player to the to the become a professional championship committed player. But there's no question that's where Denver is. Um, I think they had a, a good year last year, and uh, how they figure out the crazy schedule of these last couple years, and if it's going to go back to normal, you know, how can they get back to normal? Have you ever seen a guy? who was considered a good locker room guy, considered a good leader, go to a situation where he was ineffective in those roles? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Rondo is a guy that sometimes in the right place mm. can really make a, make a team work. Right. And then in the right place, he's like vinegar and oil. It's yeah. like, whoa, this is not going to work. Uh, and I, I can see, I coached Rondo for a year. Rondo's a strong personality. And when he connects, He's damn good. Mm. And when he disconnects, he can be an irritant. Hey, one of these guys that he's a good leader when he believes or, or has the energy for you, but if you don't, you know, sort of earn his energy, he pushed to the side. Is he like that? We're going psychology or sport now. <laughs> Passive aggressive versus, uh, you know, mad or bad attitude. Ed's told me coaches are psychologists. No question. No question. If you're not a psychologist, you're not, you're not, <laughs> you're, you're not going, you're not coaching the NBA basketball. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a, a, a little detour here, but um, I want, if you have questions, guys, watching the show for coach, we're going to get to those at the end of the show. Um, so send them in. Super producer Kale is on the mic right now on the headset and and he will be uh, earmarking those for later on. I'm going to talk about Carmelo Anthony. Kenyon Martin's a coach. We're going to talk about him. And then I want to ask George about what changes he would make to the NBA, maybe rule changes um, that can improve the NBA, whether it's on the court or maybe the way it's structured. But first, the presenting sponsor of today's show, as always, is DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And you guys know college football is right around the corner. And to celebrate DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting new players at the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly. If you bet $1 or more on any college football game, you don't have to win anything. It used to be you have to win. Like when a player throws one pass, you're, you, you know, you get... 200 bucks or whatever. Now it's just just make the bet and they're going to hand it to you. Um, so they're giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all of the great promotions and daily odds boosts that they are offering. The odds boosts are always the best. In fact, little pro tip here. If you want, just bet the odds boosts. 
and you're probably going to win money. That's what I do. I almost, I, I'll, I'll bet here and there, but for the most part, I bet I just take the odds boost when they give you some kind of crazy, uh, crazy deal. So head there right now. Uh, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code DNVR to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply to DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What is odds speed? Odds boost. So if I told you this game is 50-50, you know, the teams are evenly matched, and that's the regular odds. But we give you an odds boost and say, hey, it's actually, you could win 2-1. to one. You say, okay, that's an odds boost. The odds should be even, but you're giving me 2-1's to one's odds as a boost. So uh, that's what makes it. A guy makes a free throw, you say, oh, he's an 80% shooter, but we'll give you, we'll, we'll pretend he's a 50% shooter, so you can bet on, bet on this or that. So it just gives you a little, little extra boost. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to get George Carl doing some odds boost. I'm gonna have to text you some winners here. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll get back to. We were talking about Jeff Green. They also re-signed Jamichael Green, and last year was a weird year for Jamichael Green with the Denver Nuggets. In that, I thought he was going to play more than he did. I think he thought he was going to play more than he did. Paul Millsap is gone. Jeff Green and Jamichael Green are in. Is that your front court? Is that your four or five? And can those guys for a season and a playoff run? be your backup four and your backup five well i think jeff green did a good job of playing the five for the yeah. for brooklyn this year uh you know and everybody likes the, playing shooters all over the court that's that's a big thing and i think denver if you, i'm not saying it was a weakness but when they made the three ball they were damn good yeah uh they weren't as consistent in making the three balls i think probably coach malone would have liked um and you know People, you still got to remember that Murray's not going to be out there for most of the season. So that's the best. Well, I kind of think Jokic might be the best three-point shooter, but <laughs> Murray and Jokic are your two I love, best guys. I love that you always say that. It, it always blows my mind. I think it's Michael Porter with no question. I don't trust Michael Porter's shot selection. So. Well, okay, that is a big part of it. Shot selection is a huge part of it. Um, it, it so many teams now are going without a traditional backup big. Usually they'll have one on the roster who doesn't play. Last year, Denver traded uh, for JaVale McGee, but he didn't really play. He was in case of emergency. Maybe they should have played him. I don't know. But rolling into this season now without a backup center, do you feel like that is a, a risky thing? No. There'll be a lot of them out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There'll be a lot of guys. They'll, they'll be, you know, like Costa Kufus. You know, he's a legit backup right. player in the NBA can't get a job in the NBA. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, there are guys out there that if you want that guy on your roster, JaVale McGee will probably be available. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. It's funny, I was just at Summer League. The Nuggets last year picked up Isaiah Hartenstein, ended up going to the Cavs, then became a free agent, and he's still available. And I saw him walking the floors of the casinos and walking the floors of the gym, I'm sure yeah, rubbing yeah. elbows, saying, hey, I'm available. Who, who wants to pick me up? And you're right, a lot of teams, I think, if you know Jokic were to go down, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. There's plenty of guys. I mean, you can go old, you can go young, you yeah. can go you can go big and bulky, you can go shooter. You 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 the list of centers available is always going to be there. Yeah. Um Will Barton also is coming back. He's been with the Nuggets I think 7 years, now going to be going on 8 years. Um 
you tweeted out that you approved of this. And I was kind of surprised that you you liked Will Barton. Was that circumstantial, given that Jamal Murray's going to be out? Or no, you... no, the only thing that bothers me about Will Barton is his desire to be a starter is important. Mm, right. I think he's a dynamic scorer that can be used both as a starter. I would probably prefer to use him off the bench. And I think maybe Will Barton at this stage in his career might say to himself, it's easier to play off the bench. Well, I wondered when it happened how much of his wanting to start had to do with a contract. You know, he knew I have one more big contract, and now that you get that, maybe it's less important. I doubt it. I think he just wants to start. I think he believes he's a starter, so he wants to be there. Um, what is a starter? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Who's, who started starters? <laughs> well, I mean, somebody Why has- do we have starters? I mean, yes and no. I, this is such a coach thing to say, you know, the like, why do we have to have starters? But the truth is, we all know, usually you start, you never, you would never bench Jokic. He's going to start. So we can admit that there's an idea that, okay, you value, a starters typically, though not all, are valued a little bit more. Now, it doesn't have to be true for all five guys, but you would never bring Jokic off the bench. Why not? <laughs> Come on, coach. Why not? Come on. <laughs> Play Jokic 20 minutes against their bench defensive defenders? I can't tell if you're being serious with this, to be honest with you. I mean, you would not... LeBron James, we bring him off the bench. It would make sense to bring him off the bench? All I'm saying to you, no, it doesn't make any sense, but it also doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't make, as a coach, you coach to win the game. Yeah. You coach to win the game. <laughs> and so if not starting LeBron and bringing him and making... They they make an adjustment to you, or LeBron gets to play against your bench? I don't know. What does Will Barton have to do? Who does he have to be for the Denver Nuggets with Jamal Murray out? Like, what is what is his role? Because Jamal Murray probably not coming back to the very end of the season. Well, but the positive about Will Barton is he's a good ball handler. And, yeah. uh, and without Jamal on the court, I still go that I think there's too much pressure on Jokic being your point guard. How you can distribute that around, I think Will Barton helps you there because he's a good decision maker. From what I can tell about Jeff Green, he's a good decision maker too. Mm. So they, they kind of know the flow of the game and uh, you know everything is playing going to playing with pace. Uh, without Jamal Murray there, how do they figure out how to get more pace in the game would be something I would be thinking about. But it, it also seemed like they enjoyed being a low-paced team last year. So... Um, do you think that's Jokic, low pace? Do you think it's him that likes to slow it down? I mean, he loves the half court. Well, that's his most efficient game, and he's really good at it, and he's your best passer. So you got you got to cater to him. you got, you got to make sure he's involved. But I still think creating offense with defense, creating offense with aggressiveness, um, bringing some basketball team flow into your game, uh, by 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 playing a little faster, uh, Denver didn't have a lot of that. Yeah, you know, and I thought actually at the end of the season they were a little bit predictable. Yeah, um, Kenyon Martin is a assistant coach for summer league with the Denver Nuggets. It's been a rough. You know, they were supposed to have the practice, and and so I don't know to what extent he's been able to actually be a coach because they basically went all of the lead up to summer league without practicing, but. What do you make of what would you think Kenyon Martin would be like as a coach? I think he'd be I think he's built to be a coach. Really? I think he's very smart. Uh, his basketball IQ has always been more than I think people think it was. 
in today's game, his toughness is needed. And I think I think he's a defensive-minded guy that believes in taking, you know, being a stopper in our league for he was a stopper in our league for over a decade. And you know the the macho-ness of 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 the toughness of of uh, the example I make is Milwaukee. I thought Milwaukee's experience of going through the bad two years helped them win this year. Right. And the mental growth that comes with failure and the mental toughness and perseverance that comes from, you know, having the, having the fight through. And Milwaukee didn't have an easy run in the playoffs. Right. Milwaukee did not have an easy run. And I think their mental fortitude, their mental toughness showed it in winning a championship. I had heard a story, and I'm not even. This, I'll, I'll try to skirt around some of the details, but I had heard a story of one workout with Kenyon Martin, with with some of the players on this team, some of the big men on this team, where, you know, he gets out there and it, he, they were so short-handed he's going to play, and he starts pushing on on a guy, banging on a guy, yelling at the guy, saying, "What you don't like being physically, you don't like this or that." And so, just what you're talking about, it everybody I think kind of looks at at him and is like, "Okay, he's a coach, but he's also a former player." Like, it, kind of a, almost a like, "We got we're gonna let this happen, this thing happen." But it it you know kind of went on for the extent of a practice where Kenyon Martin, I think, seeing what you are seeing, meaning that this toughness is important and he's doing this, but doing it in a way that everybody kind of. You know, you go, oh, okay, here it is. Like he's really calling a guy out for for not for being a little bit soft during practice, maybe necessary. But you know, that kind of tension is that positive tension? Is that negative? Te- can it be negative when a former player is almost challenging a current one? I think it's great. I like I like <laughs> confrontation. I like competition. I like physicality. The more aggressive, I, I've always believed. The more. The most aggressive team, mentally and physically, wins most basketball games. And how do you make your team aggressive physically and mentally, focused mentally and physically, being the initiator, or as what I used to say, be the hitter, not the hitty. Right. And uh, and those guys stimulate wins. Yeah. They stimulate wins in a subtle way. But when you coach a lot of basketball games, that subtle way you like on your side more often than when it's against you. Do you remember a 2009 playoff run, Dallas Mavericks series? I think it's the f- first five minutes of that series. Kenny and Martin just cheap shots Dirk Nowitzki to the ground. And it was you go back and watch it. It wasn't like, a, hey, he gave him a hard foul. He could have gotten thrown out of a game. It was, he towed the line and perfectly. And I remember laughing to myself and just thinking, like, that was so calculated. He wasn't upset about anything. He came out here and said, hey, I'm going to play right on the line between – getting a technical and not with you this whole series. And, you know, it sent a message. That was an easy – it turned out to be an easy series for Denver, and I think Denver was the intimidator in that one. Yeah, uh, and I, I I really think the game – I, I like where the NBA went this year with the referee and letting the game be more physical. I don't care what you say. I thought the game this year was more physical than past years, and I, I like that. A lot of, I think, finesse of the, of the game – you know, I know we're going to talk about rule changes, but there's a part of me that says we need to put hand checking back into the game. Mm. I just think we need to, the freedom of, of movement thing has been great, but can we keep the freedom of movement and give the defender at least another weapon to be successful? Let's let's couch that for a minute because I, I do want to come back to it. Um, but instead, you know, as I've gotten to know you, Coach, I will say it's kind of funny. 
you talk about you like conflict. You know, you like confrontation because you know, you can separate the guys who are capable of handling it and you might as well get that out of the way because you're going to find out eventually if these guys can handle conflict or not. Um, but along those lines, you know, I see some of the interactions you have on social media where you're not afraid to call out a guy that you've coached or, or this or that. And a lot of people will ask me, you know, George Carl, man, he coached these guys. How can he say? And this week it was Carmelo Anthony. You came out publicly and had a comment and said, yeah, I wish he would have focused on defense and and this or that or, you know, I, how you phrased it. And my read on it with you is that you like these this type of honesty, even confrontational honesty in this way because it's like, hey, why do we have to pretend this isn't a thing? I, I have no response. You responded for me. <laughs> I mean, all it comes down to is honesty. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, I think it's laughable. You can get anger about something that happened ten years ago, and and because we poked the bear or whatever you want to phrase it, all I all I did a lot of times in my career was I was expressing how the coach feels. That doesn't mean I'm right. Right. It doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. I make mistakes. I'm wrong, but in the same sense, when uh, you know a player, you know the the years that we were frustrated about how do we get Melo to do this? How do we get Melo to do that? Because we can win a championship if we get them to the next level of commitment and the next level of dedication. Okay, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I I somewhat failed in getting him to the to where I think he could have been. Right. He could have been a champion, and maybe he will be a champion now. But, you know, we wish he would, I was, all I was saying is, I had sleepless nights trying to figure out Carmelo. Right. And right. now he's having sleepless nights trying to win a championship. We're actually together in all <laughs> I love the perspective on it. Uh, but what is, you know, there's a bit, real balancing act between you know, brutal honesty and maybe even, uh, you know, grace. And I wonder what do you feel that approach, your approach, your willingness to say the most, the, the controversial thing, what do you think that has cost or has it cost you anything now as you look back at your, your career? Well, I mean, if you want to argue, it probably cost me something, but um, I like I love my career. I mean, <laughs> I mean, damn, I gotta, I gotta go get a better career than I. Got. <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm saying is, you know, some people maybe that were very close to you and, and that you spent good years with maybe don't like that level of honesty. Hey, man, why are you, don't call me out for this? You said ten years ago. Why are we getting upset? Somebody might say, well, why are we bringing up something that happened ten years ago? But for you, I do. That's what I'm saying. Is there? A I cost? didn't bring it up. He brought it up. Okay. I, I was responding to Mello more than I was bringing right, it up. Right. 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 Um, let's move on to some of these rule changes with the NBA and just kind of what you'd like to see. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm the curmudgeon in this conversation because I love basketball. My like true loyalty, would, my coverage with everything I do is I love the game of basketball. I love the Denver Nuggets, but I love the game of basketball even above all of that. And That's my problem. <laughs> and uh, some of, 
you know, when I'm watching FIBA, the 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 Olympics, this last, there was a lot of things I really liked about it. That game was physical. It was a lot more physical than what we saw. I watched the playoff run, and in particular, I'm going to complain here. Everybody lost their mind over Damian Lillard's 55-point game. He shot 20 free throws and drove all these fouls, jumping sideways and this or that. And um, not to take away, you know, the things he can do great, but to me there is a real balance to where the game has gone and to the degree to which players have learned to exploit the current set of rules. There's some talk about it. So that's my complaint is I do I agree with you. I think the game has become too friendly to perimeter offensive players in a way that is, one, not very entertaining, and two, it feels like a gimmick to me. It feels a little bit like we've crossed a line where it's like, okay, is it impressive that you can draw these fouls on the perimeter anymore, or is it just like you can't actually guard it? That's my complaint. Do you agree with that one, and what are some of the other things you see in the NBA you'd like to change? Oh, 100%. I mean, uh the offensive player is tricking the NBA a lot. It's a good way to put it. It's tricking, and I don't like tricks. I don't. I, don't, I mean, I mean, I, I, I remember you getting in an argument. I, I, I got, I, I came to a new team. I don't know if it was Seattle, and the coach before me was always asking players to cry as they got, like they got hit. And I go, I don't think you should do that because you're not going to get that call in the playoffs. Right. So why try to get a call in the regular season that you're not going to get in the playoffs? And when you get in the regular season and not get in the playoffs, you're going to be pissed. So, you know, I don't like really tricking the game. And I like the idea that the defense now can be, I mean, the offense can be called for a foul. Right, right. For creating the contact. And I, I love I love that idea. I've always loved I've always, who created the contact? As I, I remember saying many times to referees, you know, my defender did not create that contact. Right. It was created by the offensive player. And I'm, the other changes would be, for me, is hand-checking. I think they got to, somewhere along the way, figure out how to bring hand-checking back. Not to be a, a weapon, but to allow the defender to have better balance and better ability to hold his ground and hold his position. And... Um, mm, the third thing I've always been in favor of that I was shocked that we didn't put into the NBA 10 years ago is the offensive goaltending and defense. You like that one, the FIBA I, I, one where you can knock it off. I like taking it off the rim, yeah. Okay. It's funny. So much of my opinions about what rules I, I want has to do with what kind of players I want to succeed. And I think if you add that goaltending, the, the player that benefits the most, in my opinion, is going to be Rudy Gobert, one of my least favorite players. I don't I don't want a league full of Rudy Goberts. I want a league full of skilled players. And Rudy Gobert, he's skilled, but in a way that I just don't enjoy. The pick and roll, roller, dunker. I like my big men to be able to dribble, pass, shoot, do all these different things. So that's why I'm against that one. Is I just I, I worry whoa, it would whoa, create whoa. big men a dribble pass shoot. There are not many of those guys. Oh, I like them though. I, there could be more. We we got, but they can't win with those guys. So can you not name win with Jokic? Guy, name me a big guy other than Jokic just winning as a big guy. Well, you still you have Joel Embiid. I mean, you have same success as Jokic. They're 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 coming up. You've had if you go back in time, you've got you, you Akeem Elijah. You think Joel Embiid is a overachiever or an underachiever? <laughs> um, that's a funny question. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I think you know what he. <laughs> well, I don't think. I don't think. I think that has to do with He's maybe a spectacular his approach. Underachiever. A spectacular underachiever. Okay. 
Um, I, first of all, I do think you can win with that style, and I hope to see it. I do think it's hard in today's NBA when it's so easy to draw free throws from the perimeter, and it seems – I don't think it's too hard to draw free throws, by the way, inside. I think it's appropriately refereed. It's I, a most efficient position in basketball offensively. But that's only because of how hyper-efficient it is to play on the perimeter when you can draw a foul if anybody breathes on well, you. It's been a low efficiency before the hyperness of the three-point line has come into do you, do you not, this is like a philosophical question, but would you like to see that not be the case? Meaning if there was a way to make it more efficient to have the post game back in the NBA, would you want to see that? Or do you think it's natural that we've just kind of learned? I think it would be fun. This is going to be really crazy. It'd be fun to uh, take the three-point line off the, <laughs> off the court. Yeah, it's not going to happen. No. <laughs> but what changed things? What, what about for a month in the month in the G League for one month we take the three point line? Just see what happens. Yeah. See how the game evolves. I think it'd be good. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so torn between. It, it's funny because I just look. I'm six foot five in Colorado. I was a center. You know, I think if I went to New York, I'd probably be a wing. But growing up, so I like the post game. That was where I played, and that's that's what I like. So I want to see it. I think it it's become an old school take to say you like the post game. I don't know if people south of 30 enjoy it. Like, Well, like, I think finding a big guy that can finish is what I want right now. You know, I remember for years, we all went to Pete Knowles' big man camp. Right. We went out there and we took notes and you know, I did it three or four or five times. I mean, Tim Gergers did it maybe 10 times. And it was always fun to see how you bring detail to footwork and detail to, to the low post game. But now you want guys that can read the pick and roll game, right? Yep. Figure out how to get in the window, or you know, be be a, be a good dunker. And there are things now that big guys can become efficient at that can enhance them becoming a better scorer and keep them on the court a little bit more. I do uh, adjacent to this opinion is that I think the NBA is becoming pretty homogenous and that most teams you were talking about summer league how everybody runs the same plays I think that's because they had usually have three days to practice so we're going to run the base little sets this or that but even the regular NBA with the whole season to prepare teams look more identical than I would like and I think that's just because you talked about what's efficient well there's two or three things that are very efficient for every team and spacing spacing spread spread it out pick and roll yeah so it's really if you really think about how shots are created in the NBA it's almost exclusively from pick and roll or from some type of dribble penetration it could be isolation but some type of drive kick and it's just all that I mean Denver runs a lot of elbow action and some teams will play through the post a little bit but for the most part it's pick and roll kick drive kick and and, and that and I that's the part of the game to me that I'd say I, I, I like that stuff. I just want to see other stuff as well. Well, I actually think the coaches got to challenge themselves to be more diverse. Really? I think they got to be more creative. Mm. I think they got to go out of the box a little bit more. Um, everybody seems to go with five out. There's nothing wrong with four out. Actually, three out can win. But everybody seems, because it's easy to teach, five out works. You think that's what it is? It's easy to teach. It's simple. It's simple to tell people to go to these spots. I think Mike D'Antoni is the architect of this. And look, he been he did it with seven seconds or less, but he really did it, I thought, with the Houston Rockets when, you know, he, he even has a quote where he says, why would I run more than one play? One play works. And I, meaning spread, pick, and roll. And 
I, I almost feel like a lot of teams have taken that philosophy of, hey, lots of plays are fun, but this one works over and over and over again if you have the right guys. Well, I'm a little more creative than that. I'm, <laughs> I believe in being a little more out of the box than that. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been telling coaches in the last five years when I hang around my son and other coaches that come into Denver and we talk hoop, you know, what zone is going to be effective in the league? Yeah. I, I've been, my son and, and I have talked a lot about boxing one and, and, and triangle on two. He tried it in the G League with some success. But there is another, there's some things you can add to the game that can create maybe a, a different type of offense or a different type of defensive read. And I think coaches got to challenge themselves to be more creative. Is there a coach in the NBA currently that you feel is especially creative? Offensive, I'll stick to offensively. Or there is a team, maybe it's not even a coach, but maybe even a, a, a team that you feel gets gets more creative. Well, the team that I like this year and the two teams I like this year, and I always gravitate to the underdog teams. Sure. I thought Memphis yeah. did a great job with with a rookie, rookie point. Was it? Uh, second, second year point, point guard. guard, yeah. I think they're going to be dangerous when Jackson gets back. I think they're going to be better because of the Adams and Bledsoe trade. So I, I kind of like them, and I like Charlotte right now. Interesting. I like how Charlotte plays. They play the right way. They play awful hard. They play, you know, they they play a team-oriented game, uh, and they they overachieve. They win more games than they probably should. You're you're sometimes an enigma to me because you know what? Both of those two teams have are very young point guards, talented point guards, but young point guards. I mean, Lamelo Ball. I love his game. I'm I'm a huge Lamelo and Lonzo Ball fan, but. And he's a young, creative point guard. John Morant's a young, creative point guard in a different way, but still a young, creative point guard. So it's interesting. Well, what's the most important position in basketball? Oh, point guard. Well, let's answer What's the most important position, second most important position in basketball? A playmaking player. Oh, a playmaker. Okay. Yeah. So I think you got to have both. I mean, yeah. you know, I, that's why I still think Denver, who's the point guard? Who's your point guard? Okay. Okay, Jokic. Okay, okay. We'll make him point guard again this year. <laughs> All right, Kale. Let's uh, get to a couple of questions. We got just a couple of minutes here. Why don't we try to rapid fire some questions? What do we got? All right. We will start off with uh, super chat coming in from Bilzine Ball Ball. The alien. I wish I understood more X's and O's during games. Is there an interesting coaching battle that you've been in or seen that you can talk about a little? Um, we can go through history on this one. Well, the recollection I have is I, I was just in Hawaii and I played golf with Don Nelson. And somehow my son and I were there and we were talking about the first time I beat Don Nelson. I remember beating him in Milwaukee my first year in Cleveland. And Nelly was, I think, doesn't get the credit, but I think he's the beginner. And sure. He was the father of small ball. Yep. And... I beat him in Milwaukee, and there were eight guys on the court under 6'3". <laughs> and the centers were Marcuson, and I think I was playing Phil Hubbard at center. Hmm. So, so you know, that Nelly was a guy that I always, he was a good friend, he took care of me in a lot of ways. But when I played him, I wanted to beat him, and I still remember the first time. And Nelly had some great matchups. A guy that I thought was a great coach was Jack Ramsey, an old-time coach. 
Uh, I mean, my battles with Phil Jackson and Del Harris and Greg Popovich, they're all been great. Jerry Sloan, probably, I probably enjoy my battle with Jerry Sloan as much as anybody mm. because of Stockton and Malone versus Peyton. And yeah. Uh, I don't know how many times we played, but it was a lot. We played a lot of games against each other. So those are the ones that come to mind right now. What else we got? Uh, this is coming in from our guy, Ray. Can a coach and front office have different mentalities in terms of being willing to integrate low floor, high ceiling prospects versus bringing more of those guys in and still find success? <clears throat> well, that could get me in, I could get in trouble with that question. <laughs> uh you know, I'm just going to say I'm a Bill. I'm a. I think coaching is. I like what Bill Parcells says. If you want me to cook the meal, you got to let me buy the groceries. <laughs> um, that doesn't happen anymore in the NBA. Right now, the NBA there might be Adam. What do you think? Three, four, five NBA coaches that have a lot of say in personnel. I really couldn't tell you that. I mean, you could tell better than I could. I don't. I don't even think it's that many, to be honest with you. And personnel decisions now are made by management, by contractual salary cap negotiations. And I, I, I think that can happen if there's a connection between coach and management, and right. they want that connection to happen. But, um, um, you know, I, I just think there's, a, there's an in, it's just right now it's ingrained in co coaching and management Management is in control of winning now, but also winning three years from now and winning five years from now. Coaches are the only thing important to them is winning tomorrow. And But does that create a healthy tension? I mean, could, trying to win tomorrow sometimes can set you up for failure and trying to win tomorrow can set you up for failure. Is there a healthy tension there between the two motivations? Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I mean, my last couple of years in the league, I lasted six years in in Seattle. I lasted seven years. I mean, I lasted seven years in Seattle, seven years, six years in Milwaukee, and eight years here in Denver. And everybody says I'm a volatile coach. <laughs> Coaches don't last that long and they're volatile. <laughs> I don't think. I must have done something, right? I love it. What else we got, Gail? Uh, coming in, a couple more. This is coming in from Nino. Coach, do you prefer a traditional point guard in Monte to start along with Thrill, MPJ, AG, and, Yo and Joker, or more of a defensive and versatile point guard in PJ Dozier? Mm -hmm. I want the best one to play, and I think it's going to be Monte. I think Monte, this is a window for him to jump through, and yeah. I, think, I think he's ready for it. He's going to have some growing pains. He might not be as successful early in the year, maybe as later, but I think I think Monte would be my guy, and right from what I know right now, that would be my pick. He's as much of a pure point guard as you know the Nuggets have had for for quite a while. I, I consider him a pure point guard, a true one. What else we have? Uh, a couple more coming in. Okay. This is kind of interesting. What financial role should the NBA as a league take to grow basketball internationally? Hmm. NBA's done a good job of this, by the way. And I mean, the, the Olympics this year kind of demonstrate how much the game has grown. I mean, right. the teams are all good now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
How responsible should the NBA be for that? <clears throat> I think they should be at the table. Um, I don't think the NBA player wants to give up their summers. No. Uh, as much as European players give up their summers. I mean, Europe, people don't understand. Europe starts practice in, practice in August. It usually ends around the end of May, early June. And most of them go play on their national team. Right. July and a little bit in July. And I don't think the NBA player wants to give that up. But in the same sense, I still think the NBA player wants to be a part of the USA basketball. So, which I think we're in a good spot. And depending on USA basketball and Jerry Colangelo and, and now Grant Hill, I think they should sustain being a leader of basketball because, you know, it's our, it's, you know we, we founded the game, and I think we've been a good ambassador for the game, and I think we should sustain what we're doing. Mm. Let's get a couple more here if we have time. Actually, maybe only one, one more here. We'll do this one then. Uh, coach, would you prefer Murray take the whole year off and rehab or try to come back to action ASAP and get acclimated for a real um, championship push next season? Oh, I, I'm, I'm always more into positive energy and trying to get back and trying to play basketball. But I think right now the, the mentality and sport, and both both basketball, football, and baseball, everybody I talk to is they're, they're going to be conservative with it. It's an injury that deserves some attention. But I, I also think players, different players rehab differently than other players. Some guys heal faster than other players. And uh, I, would, I would push Jamal to try to get back on the court as soon as possible and let him make that decision. You know, as much as the doctors and management and players, I think they all night need to sit down at the table once a month and kind of talk about where they're at and what they need to do and be, be, be very, very reasonable on making, making the right decision. Energy, you bring up that word a lot. It sounds like energy is really such an important thing. Like the, just the direction the energy is going, you can always feel it in an organization and injuries hanging over it can be a thing that creates a negative energy. It's That's really, kind of what you're really, talking really, about. Really, really. I, I've said it with you a couple of times. I've said it around the city of Denver. Murray not being there is a bigger problem than we're talking about. We're not talking about enough that, you know, I mean, you're going to have to, Denver is going to be a good basketball team and hopefully by the end of the year be a great basketball team. But there are probably going to be some growing pains through the year of basketball. Yeah, I have no question about it. Um, George, this is great. These are always great. It was a fun conversation. Um, you know, you guys want to check out Truth in Basketball and also this Forgotten Seasons. They do some really cool uh, conversations on some of these big seasons that you probably heard about but don't quite fully remember. And when you do a deep dive on a great season, maybe you know the outcome, maybe you know this or that, but the backstories to these are really great. And as I said, maybe very, very quickly, we're going to be taking a little trip to Denver back in time, maybe somewhere like back in the 80s. 90, 1985, I think they want to revisit with that one. Hopefully we're trying to get trying to get Alex to be on and maybe Doug and see see if they can talk hoop about a great year in Denver basketball. Uh, it's a great show when you reference uh, Don Nelson and Doug Moe on the same show. Two good guys. <laughs> everybody else, hit that like button on the way out. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, Keeping It One Thousand. We'll see everybody next time.